Time is not on your side. Midnight this Friday is your last chance to secure the highest possible discount on tickets to Mumbrella's Audioland. Don't miss out on a day dedicated to all things audio. Rally your teams and head to mumbrella.com.au forward slash Audioland for more info. Kulachi joins New Zealand indie group Ativo as its media CEO. Hard Hat CEO and Mumbrella's Texas correspondent Dan Monheit checks in from South by Southwest and a chat with Telstra's CMO Brent Smart and Accenture Song President slash The Monkey's CEO Mark Green are all on today's Mumbrella cast lineup. Joining me to kick things off though is our editorial director Damien Francis. Hey Damo. Crispin, mate, it's good to have you back. Did you get lost? You weren't I on did. the um, I took a, a wrong turn on the way back from a Golden Plains Music Festival on Monday and um, subsequently you guys had to keep the, the the bowl rolling with the evening mumbo and, and just about everything else. But, you know, who better than the mumbo team? That's right, mate. And I've just got the bill from the emergency services to have you retrieved. I'm passing that on. It's coming out of your paycheck, just so you know. Well, I, I clearly did a lot of shouting trying to be found because my voice is uh, totally shot. So um, apologies apologies to all the listeners listening in today. You've got um, quite a lot of me speaking, so... <laughs> Oh, that's, that's a good day. That's a good day for most of the supply, I think. So before we get into the news, the serious news uh, today, a little bit of a serious update, actually, Cal, uh, which I wanted to ask you about uh, surrounding a story that you wrote last week on an ocean and fuck the cupcakes, uh, excuse language, but that is the name. Um, now, for those of you that missed it, it was about uh, the fact that Jasmine Badir, who runs an ocean, uh, had received a death threat surrounding that campaign. Uh, and there was a lot of vile comments uh, on uh, campaign brief in particular. Carol, I just wanted to ask you whether there were any updates on that, knowing that, you know, we've had to moderate a substantial amount of comments ourselves on that story, uh, and disappointingly, uh, a number of comments which have come from the same IP addresses. So clearly a, a few people, not many, but a few trying to get in, you know, very similar uh, inappropriate comments multiple times. Look, Damo, we're we're keeping an eye on it. Um, as I understand, there are a few moving parts in in regards to the ad council as well, and we've still um, not had an official response to to Mumbrella's questions from from campaign brief. Um, at, at this stage, I would probably think it's safe to say that we we won't be getting one. The story with those comments does remain up, and I, I suspect, as you mentioned there. Judging by uh, some of the comments in our back end that we have um, been getting some of those those similar people um, trying to, I guess, detract, for, well, move the conversation away um, from, I, I guess, the key focus point that, that we sort of centred in on. Um, as you mentioned there, there are, um, I, I guess, IP trackers on our back end, so we do see quite a few of the comments that are coming in are from the same people um, posting under different names. Um, so I would probably suspect that that might have been um, a similar story over on on Campaign Brief. But, I mean, interestingly, we, we did look at the Reddit account, which was, which was mentioned in our original post. Um, it was a throwaway account on Reddit, I guess, to sort of 
um, scramble scrambled the traces of sorts. Um, but looking at their short comment history, it was someone from um, within the advertising in- industry who had posted some, I guess, fairly flagrant opinions about the ad industry and I guess the state of it right now, um, which uh, I guess suggests that there is a bit of a problem here that we'll probably need to look at. Um, but for for the next uh, little while, we're just going to be keeping tabs on things. Anyway, Damo, let's crack into our only news story of the day. Yesterday, New Zealand headquartered marketing group Ativo announced that it had hired former Dentsu media boss Sue Squilacci as its first media CEO in the ANZ region. Now, she's returning to the industry after eight months following her exit from Dentsu, where she was Dentsu media CEO, taking on um, dual responsibilities with the Cara uh, CEO role, which she joined couple of years prior. Now, they haven't still replaced that Cara role, but um, joining Ativo, the, the company is going under what it calls a period of transformation. We're hearing quite a lot of that word around industry um, or agency changes, I should say, at the moment. Uh, and she's going to have the task of developing a multidimensional media model, starting with 303 Mullenlow's ANZ integrated offering. Demo. Start by giving us a little bit of context on the group here, and um, I guess in particular the most important part is the purchase of um, Mullen Lowe from IPG a few years ago. Yeah, well, transformation I think is becoming the, the buzzword of 2023. Multidimensional I haven't heard as much, but uh, to your point, Carl, I think a lot of people could be given for not particularly knowing a huge amount uh, about uh, Ativo. Uh, now, IPG sold the majority of its share in 303 Mullen Low, as well as a minority of share in Media Hub uh, back in June 2021 uh, to Ativo. Uh, now, that's owned by uh, Cam Murchison, who's a former uh, Adlander uh, himself. I, I guess he is an Adlander now, but uh, formerly from big uh, agency DDB and uh, Ogilvy. Uh, and now Ativo's largely run out of uh, New Zealand. Uh, so not as familiar in the uh, in the Australian market, but this sort of deal wasn't really new to IPG. It had done similar ones before in terms of uh, Future Brand, uh, which Richard Curtis uh, now runs, McCann, which Ben Lilly has rolled into Hero, and uh, Weber Shanwick and Jack Morton, of course, with uh, Helen Graney. So shedding the majority of its share in 303 Mullen Lowe is certainly not a new thing for IPG locally. At the time of, of this acquisition for Ativo, it essentially doubled the size of uh, the business, which uh, that name itself had sort of come into play in, in 2020 as the parent brand uh, for a range of marketing services, like I said, led out of uh, New Zealand. Now, those services in, in include Harvey Cameron, uh, Faramon, Gorilla, so names that, again, probably won't be really well known uh, in the Australian market. Interestingly, on the website, it also includes uh, Prefero, Mullen Low, and Prefero is probably a name that uh, Australians are a little bit more familiar with. The, the main sort of agency in, in that, as you mentioned, Cal, is definitely 303 Mullen Low, which itself has had a, a fairly deep history in the Australian industry, ha- having largely uh, been an operation in Perth as 303 uh, before being uh, acquired by IPG and merged with Lowe. 
Uh, and then when Mullen Low uh, globally became a thing, when Mullen and Low came together, that became 303 Mullen Low. So weren't we talking a couple of weeks ago about uh, these joining of, of various agency names? We were Here's another example. And that is the story, Carlton, of 303 Mullen Low and how it became part of a TiVo group. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it, it's interesting, Damo, especially at that coming out um, at this time for the group. I mean, spoke to to Sue briefly, and um, you know, from her perspective, she's enjoyed a bit of time out, a little bit of switching off, which uh, in this industry many don't often get the chance to do. I think largely the only time to do that is when you are between roles. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess for, for for Sue, she said the the sort of opportunity to have those creative links was was really exciting. Um, and now, I guess the task at hand will really be focused on redesigning the media output squarely at at Mullen Low and then across the rest of the group as well. Um, it will be based in Sydney, where Mullen Low obviously has has a headquarters, but will sort of be moving between the the Christchurch and, and Perth offices as well. I guess also for Sue, she's got pretty extensive group media agency uh, roles. So this is something where um, I, I guess there's a, a, a growth ambition there, um, which is a little bit, I guess, left of field to, to what you would sort of consider traditionally from some of those groups. Yeah, look, absolutely. I, I think for Sue as well, it gives her an opportunity to work across uh, the, the market, Australia and New Zealand as well. There was the sort of mention that, that she would be working across some of those other agencies uh, within the group in New Zealand uh, as well, uh, probably not as much, but you know that New Zealand market is a really interesting uh, market. To your point, Perth is as well. But look for those paying uh, at home as well. There's another interesting name within this business uh, as well on the media uh, on the uh, media hub side, which is uh, Andrew Livingston, which uh, a few people will remember uh, back in the day, the former CEO of uh, of Initiative. Uh, and has been uh, in that business for a number of years now. So uh, slowly putting together a, a really good group of uh, people. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how Sue integrates it as that media boss uh, in, in particular. And um, just, I guess, one final point there. You know, you say an interesting group of people, but probably important to note that there has been quite a few exits from the Mullen yeah. Low business in, in recent months, those including... Um, Richard Burney, ECD, and, and Todd Baker, Managing Director over in Perth, as well as a few um, people from the creative and strategy departments in Sydney. So, um, yeah, a lot of change there, similarly to Sue's old shop at Densu, but uh, I don't think those are the only ones in this industry. Uh, anyway, up next, Hard Hat's Dan Monheit joins us from South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. <music> Dan Monheit, I guess for the first time in the podcast, being referred to as CEO of Hard Hat. Um, yeehaw, howdy, how are you doing? Uh, you stole both of my intros. I thought if you take <laughs> yeehaw, I'm going to take howdy. If you take howdy, I'm going to take yeehaw. You've left me with nothing. G'day. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you can have you can have good day. You're in Texas for <laughs> South by Southwest, uh, the second year back after after COVID. You've just finished. Your fifth and final day there, um, or is it yeah. not your final day? The fifth day, but how, how are you feeling? Day. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty wrecked. I've been drinking from a fire hose literally for five days straight, and this is the bit where the wheels definitely start falling off. 
is as big a, a party as as last year's. I, uh, you know, we spoke on the podcast when you were there last year, and you kind of said that you know everyone was just sort of happy to be there after a few years of um, lacking in conferences. Yeah, uh, this year it feels like it's it's right back to pre-COVID full force. I, I think they're expecting. 300,000 people across the conference and festival all descending on Austin, which is it's not such a big city. And so it is just, it's wild. And by, by day five of interactive, you have all of the people from music rolling through as well. So all the like crazy outfits and old rockers and people just here to have a great time. It's, um, it's, it's electric. You said last year that everyone sort of had to have a mention of the metaverse in some, in one way or another in their, in their presentations. What, what are some of the big themes this year? I presume AI would be up there. Um, what, what are we talking? Yeah, so it's definitely nice to notice the absence of things. You know, so you learn a lot by what's not here. So there was still plenty of metaverse talk, but not on the main stages. It was all sort of on the side stages and, and side events. And I guess just for context for people that haven't been here before, across the five days, there are hundreds and hundreds of sessions in four hotels and dozens of other venues. So there's heaps of stuff to go to. So the, the Metaverse stuff has moved off the main stages into kind of the side acts. Uh, there was almost nothing on crypto or NFTs, uh, which was kind of nice. AI got a lot of attention, as you can imagine. They, they opened the conference. I think the second speaker on the, f- on the first day in the main hall was um, uh, Greg Brockman, who's co-founder of OpenAI or ChatGPT. And yeah, AI really did infiltrate at least 50% of the presentations that I went to in some manner or form. And in terms of brand presence, um, you kind of mentioned it a little bit uh, in one of your write-ups online, but who's sort of spending the, spending the cash this year? Is there, is there a noticeable sector maybe that is kind of going in a little bit harder than this year? Or maybe, you know, to, to your point just there, who, who's not noticeably? Yeah, so there's this little area called Rainy Street, which is just just sort of down the road from the conference. And and apparently all year, Rainy Street's bumping. It's like all these rows of bars and restaurants. But what happens in South By, there's this great tradition of brands coming in and taking over all of these little restaurants or, or houses, as they call them, and putting on these huge parties and activations. And it's always an interesting spot to go and observe who, who has lots of money and is in big acquisition mode at the moment. Because, you know, these things really often don't stack up in the short term if you're reporting back to the CFO. And in my early years at South By, as you'd imagine, it was all social media brands. And I spent many a night at Pinterest house and you know Twitter house and all of that good stuff. Last year, it was almost exclusively crypto and NFT brands, of which I understood 3% of what any of them did. None of them were here this year. And so I was wondering who's, who's going to be putting on the parties. TikTok put on a massive party and they've had a huge presence, but down in Rainy Street, it's it's been a lot of the streaming businesses. Yeah, right. Um, so Paramount Plus and um, uh, who else? Roku's been out and Amazon Prime have been out. And you can see these guys are, are definitely here to, to make, make a splash and get some eyeballs. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, even last year at... Um at Cannes, it was it was all the big social media players that were they were out in force. So yeah, I guess mm. um, Top Gun Mavericks given given Paramount a big year. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And look, I mean, these there's definitely businesses still in big acquisition mode. There was also massive activation from Porsche. They've had like an electric car parked out the front of the convention center the whole time. So I guess luxury brands and streaming services is where where the money seems to be. 
first of all, is there a big Aussie presence there this year? And then uh, I guess what what are you feeling like you're going to be bringing back to the market here um, and in terms of your learnings? So in terms of Aussie presence, yeah, it feels it feels pretty big. Again, just for context, um, they said in the opening address on day one that they've got the biggest proportion of internationals this year ever. So internationals were about 25% of attendees pre-pandemic. It was up at about 30% this year. Biggest contingent from Brazil. But Aussies definitely represented. I was down at Australia House a couple of times and uh, we definitely put on a good show. And there's a couple of very, very active WhatsApp groups with all, all of the Aussie people trying to find each other and uh, exchange notes on where's, where's good for good barbecue. As far as sort of learnings to bring back, you know, a lot of what you get here is sort of big picture stuff. And so it's not like here's the three ways to use, you know, AI in your, you know, email marketing. You sort of come back often with different ways of thinking about things. So I think one of the most interesting things with, with AI is the first question a lot of people are asking, uh, you know, are services like ChatGPT going to eliminate jobs? Are they going to eliminate my job? I mean, there's a lot of journalists here. There's a lot of content writers. There's a lot of, you know, people that do jobs that feel like, um ChatGPT is doing a pretty good job of imitating. And I think one of the best perspectives I heard on this was, was the idea that it's sort of the wrong question and it's not this binary thing of it'll take your job or it won't and that we should be thinking about it in a more Marie Kondo type way and considering which parts of our job spark joy and looking at how we can use AI tools to get rid of or minimize the parts of our job that don't spark joy. So mm. from a journalist perspective, I mean, one of the presentations was saying a lot of journalists don't even really like the writing bit. They like doing the investigation stuff and the interviews and then having to write it all up is like kind of the, the chore at the end. So maybe you can use these tools to speed up those things and spend more time focusing on what you actually enjoy. And uh, give, give us your two standout sessions of the, of the five days that you went to. Oh, God, it's so hard. Um, uh, can, I give, can I give you three? I'll give you three. You can give me I mean, three, yeah. Because I've already mentioned, I mean, the, the interview with the co-founder of uh, OpenAI, which is the underlying tech behind ChatGPT, was just amazing. You know, I've seen lots of amazing tech leaders on this stage over the years, but I've never seen anybody more humble and more empathetic and more insightful uh, than Greg Brockman was. And, you know, as a guy leading the charge for whatever this next big technology wave is going to be, like, that's that's what we want from our leaders. So, it set a really nice tone for the conference and, and did a good job of offsetting a lot of the scaremongering that was inevitable afterwards. So that was great. Um, the interview with uh, Patagonia CEO, Ryan Gellert, was was brilliant. Um, obviously, what they've done as a business is incredible. And the sort of advertising marketing cynic in me was, was unsure how much of it was brilliant and how much of it was just really brilliant PR. And I'm sorry if that upsets anybody. But, you know, we learned to be cynical about these things. And within five minutes on stage, it was just so evident that they are the real deal. They are such an exciting business. They are redefining what it means to be a business that chases profit at the same time as it chases goals for the planet. And I mean, he, he literally just spoke in, in tweetables. I, literally, I feel like I wrote down everything he said and just little throwaway lines like, you know, when you buy something, think about yourself as an owner, not as a consumer. You know, it's such a small thing, but it, you just see how these small shifts can completely change your perspective on consumerism. So he was brilliant. Um, and the third one, I, I went to a brilliant session at Australia House. So um, Australia House was at an activation actually down in Rainy Street. Um, and they had the, the draw card for me was Patty Mills. So I'm a big fan. Um, I sort of had to 
had to hide behind saying to him when I met him that my son's a really big fan, so can I please have a photo for him? But Patty, if you're listening, it was all for me. Can um, you sign this? What, what's your son's yes. name? It's, it's Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my son has the same name as I do. Um, so uh, we were down at this at this session, and so it was um, Patty Mills. It was this culinary superstar, Norni Barrow. I think I said her name right. She's um indigenous chef, got a restaurant uh, at Fed Square in Melbourne. And it was uh, two of the guys from King Stingray who were just brilliant. And mm-hmm. I've, I've learned to be pretty wary of panel sessions in all of my time here. But this was just incredible. Just hearing each of them talk about their deep connection to Australia and their experience taking their culture to the world. Like they were, again, just so thoughtful and articulate and I just left feeling a really different sort of pride about being Australian and also a little bit ashamed about how little I knew about, you know, so much of what happens in our country. So that was three big ones. Um, but there was literally one or two things a day that would have justified the whole trip over here. Well, I, I guess that explains why you're fully decked out in Patagonia gear now. So <laughs> you know, you know, I was so inspired that I was like, I want to go buy some Patagonia gear, but they don't want me to buy stuff that I don't need. So I'm going to support them by not buying anything. <laughs> until i need to buy something and then i will go and buy something well for for the listeners dan isn't actually wearing any patagonia Thank gear you. but um, <laughs> dan it, it's been great to have you check in from south by southwest uh let's make it a yearly thing love to great chatting cal see you mate see ya Coming up after the break, Telstra's Brent Smart and the Monkeys' Mark Green chat about all things Telstra and creative and economic outlooks. <laughs> Chief Marketing Officer at Telstra, Brent Smart, and President for ANZ Accenture Song and CEO of the Monkeys, Mark Green. Welcome to you both. G'day. Thank you, Callum. How's things so, down in Melbourne? Things are fantastic in Melbourne. The uh, the sun is shining, as it looks like it is uh, over in Auckland. And um, Brent, you've got the the blinds closed. So uh, <laughs> so let's start with you, um, Brent. You're six months into the new gig at Telstra. Start us off. How are things going? How does it compare to, uh, I guess, your preconceptions of of how it might be? Yeah, thanks for having me, Callum. Um, it's big. I guess I always knew it was going to be big, uh, but once you're sort of in it, uh, it certainly is impressive, the scale of Telstra. Um, but the thing that I, I find most impressive is for a company so big is how quick Telstra moves. So, um, you know, Telstra's bought into the whole agile uh, way of working, and it means that despite it being massive, we're able to actually move really quickly. And already, so six months in, um, I'm, I'm sort of amazed, actually, that I've been able to get three pieces of work to market this quickly. Yeah, and so so it's, it's so far so good. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, the culture there uh, is great, full of really smart people, and, and the business has got some great momentum right now, so it's a really good time to be there. We'll get into some of that, that work in a little bit because we have a, a new piece that's come out this week, but um, what sort of prompted that, that move five years at IAG? Did you feel like it was, it was time to move on? You didn't want to be seen as... The insurance guy. There's a bit of that. Uh, I, I never, I never sort of set out to work in insurance. I, I fell into it. Um, but look, I had a great time at IAG. I really, really enjoyed it there. Um, I had a fantastic boss. Um, managed to do a bunch of really great work that I'm that I'm super proud of. And and funnily enough, you know, you wouldn't expect an insurance company to be 
a place where you could do great creative and, and where you could build a really creative marketing culture. But we were able to do that at IG. Um, and the NRMA brand was just so awesome to work on. So it, it was really great. Had a great time. More just time for the next challenge. Um, and I think um, I always, I've always wanted to lead marketing for one of the truly iconic Australian brands. Um, and NRMA was pretty iconic, but when it comes to a Telstra or a Qantas or a Woolworths, I think they're the sort of opportunities as a marketer that um, you can't say no to. You know, the opportunity to work on a on a brand that is such a part of the fabric of the country, such a part of um, culture, was too good to refuse, really. And now, um, Mark, you're obviously uh, here as well. You've got that that working relationship with. Brent, already, what's that like? You know, having having a new CMO come in, but one that you do have such an existing relationship with, and you know, to the to, to Brent's point there, um, that relationship which you have created and sort of stewarded that brand uh, over the last few years as well. Yeah, look, I mean, we've worked with Telstra, I think, for fourteen years now, and um, and we've 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 spent a lot of time together Brent and I over the years in fact uh, we've known each other most of our careers and and I, look I think for, for us it's um, as Brent said before uh, we're lucky to be able to work with such an iconic brand and for us and Brent will uh, uh, support this like we, we always try and give a client what we think they need and not always just do what they want and have that kind of uh, fresh debate every time we come into contact just to get to the right work for the right brand. And, you know, that's always been the case with um, Telstra. It was the case with, when we came together on NRMA at IAG as well. And, yeah, we're looking forward to kind of, um, you know, having long conversations, um, sometimes heated, sometimes uh, uh, fun, uh, but in the pursuit of doing great work together. And um, we've done it historically and you know we're already starting to do that at Telstra. So um, yeah, look, this is this is a challenge that uh, you know we're both familiar with. And you know, I think for us, it's all about doing better work every time you get a brief, and whatever brief is in front of you, trying to hit it out of the park and and do what's right for the brand and what what will kind of connect that brand to the customer in the best way. And. Um- I'm sure we'll get into you know what you see as the the main things on your agenda at Telstra Brent, but kind of to your point there, Mark, about delivering not just what the the client wants but what it needs. What do you sort of see as um, top of the billing for for what Telstra really needs right now? Obviously, it's a brand that is the leader in its category right now. Some might say that its main competitor is still walking with a, a little bit of a limp, but how, how do you sort of ca- capitalize on that? Look, I, I, I think it's, you know, the, the Telstra brand uh, connects with so many Australians. And for us, it's trying to find, uh, you know, the, the, the best insight and the best truth to, to connect the brand with, with the audience. And, um, you know, we're, we're seeing with the, you know, the Telstra brand when, you, you know, you make such an impact. You know, the Telstra Australia is Why campaign did that. And now I think with the work that we're doing, um, with Brent across security, KO and uh, fixed, you, you've, you've, we've got the opportunity to talk to everybody um, in a really unique way. And, and we're starting to discover um, just a really interesting voice for the brand. And, 
um, it's it's resonating and I think it will have great impact. So, um, yeah, look, I think in terms of the priorities for the Telstra brand, I think it's it's it, it really is uh, trying to find uh, just new and interesting ways to keep it top of mind and, and present in Australian culture. Uh, and what about you on that, that brand? Obviously, uh, as I said, market leader, things are looking pretty strong at the moment. What's, what's sort of the goal with, um, with the output at the moment? Yeah, I think, I think Mark said it pretty well. I, I think the number one job for marketers is to find distinctiveness, right? So I, th- I, I think there's never been more content in the world than there is right now. So we've got to find a way to be distinctive and cut through that. But I think when I look at big brands in this country, I think a lot of them look and feel the same. Um, and, and I think I'm always trying to find a distinctive way of, of you know, speaking, uh, distinctive way of going to market so that we can really stand apart from, from you know, other big brands in this country. It's not for me just about being distinctive and cutting through our own category, but really being a leading brand in Australia and in Australian culture. Uh, and I think that's the job. Um, and the great thing is when you're working on a brand like Telstra, I mean, we've got 100% awareness. Um, as you said, we are a market leader. So there is a fantastic opportunity, I think, to, um, you know, think about how the brand can evolve in terms of personality and, and tone of voice. And ultimately, I think, you know, we want Telstra to be, you know, a really likable, really approachable big brand. And, and that, that's sometimes challenging when you're a really big brand. Um, so I think we're trying to bring that to the personality and you see that coming through the work that, that we're doing at the moment. Was that, I guess, one of the things for you that you wanted and needed assurances that you were going to ha- kind of have that license to come across and continue making really creatively driven work? Well, you never get assurances when you take a CMO job. Uh, I think what you're trying to do is when you are, are meeting the leadership of the company, you're trying to get a sense for their vision and their ambition and, and seeing whether it aligns with, with yours. And I certainly felt with everyone I met at leadership at Telstra that there was a real desire for growth. There was a, and, and if you want to grow, then you need creativity. You know, it's been yeah. proven time and time again that, that the more creative you are, the more effective you are. Um, and so really when you're working for a company that wants to grow, I think there's a fantastic opportunity for any CMO to step into that opportunity and use creativity to make their marketing more effective and indeed to drive growth for the company. And I certainly felt that um, with all the leadership I met at Telstra, and I'm certainly feeling it every day working there, there's an absolute desire to do work that is going to that is going to grow the business uh, and ultimately, um, you know, be, be one of Australia's favourite brands. I mean, that's really what we want to do. Yeah, look, and, and it's, there's no surprise that, um, you know, great CMOs and great agencies get to great work, right? It's not by chance. Uh, and I think if you look at Brent's history, he's always been associated with, um, you know, great creative work that has an impact in the market. Um, and I think if you've got that ambition, it, it, it comes through wherever you are. And I think what we're seeing um, with Brent's start at Telstra, he's, he's, he's bringing that to the team and, um, I, th- I think he's building on some great work that um, his predecessors have done, but also adding um, his particular kind of style to the relationship as well. And, um, you know, we, we, we love that uh, kind of ambition and, you know, we want to match it and beat it. So, um, look, there's some good work happening already um, and it will continue to get stronger.
And just on that, just to build on that, um, you know, I, I don't want to do great work. It's not an ego thing or a vanity thing. It's absolutely a commercial decision because, again, I believe that highly creative work is more effective, but it's been proven time and time again. Um, so so it's really a commercial decision to do great work, and, and that's why I'm so focused on it and, and why, um, you know, I think it's so critical to, to what we do as marketers. What's that like, um, I guess, as a CMO, Brent, when you're coming in and your predecessor, sort of as you mentioned there, it's still in the building or, I don't know, physically, if you're in the, in the same building as Jeremy now, um, you know, you obviously want to continue the progression and the momentum that the brand has got, but also, I guess, you're brought in because of your credentials. So what's that like for you and how do you approach that? Well, it's been great. So Jeremy and I are on the same leadership team. Um, and Jeremy has uh, just been incredible in terms of onboarding me, supporting me. Um, he built a great team. And as Mark said, um, the work they did with Australia's Why has provided this incredible brand, brand foundation where the brand's really strong, all the brand health measures are looking really good. So for me, that's an opportunity to build on that and, and sort of stretch from that to, to sort of um, you know, do work that adds even more personality and distinctiveness to the brand so uh, it's been great and jeremy um you know has become a good mate and uh so far so good i really enjoyed working with him and also i think how great for me that i've got a marketer running our whole digital channel someone who gets brand who gets ideas who gets creativity so i think the opportunity to partner with jeremy on some of that stuff is is super exciting Mark, let's um, talk about some of the new work now, which you uh, you alluded to earlier. Um, maybe we'll go with the most recent piece, more reliable than family. Can you can you talk us through uh, that one a little bit in the platform there? I know we sort of spoke on air about um, how you you were saying you relate to that one in particular. Well, my kids might relate to it actually, but um, I, I think yeah. Look, it's it's a it's just a it's a it's a nice way of talking about uh, reliability and something that um, most Australians would be familiar with. We we're not all perfect. We have moments where you know you might uh, forget the time that you've got to pick your son up up at uh, football training and uh, you have never done that, have you, Green? <laughs> fighting traffic and. Uh, everything else in your way to try and get somewhere on time. And um, look, I think, I think the latest work is just really a, a beautiful piece of um, film which um, has been brought to life with great uh, talented directors and, and agency folk and, and client alike. And, um, you know, that builds on, you know, probably the blockbuster spot that uh, Smarty came out of the blocks with, with, with security, which... Um, you know, juxtapose the uh, the kind of a uh, high intensity security operation with um, trying to protect the family. You know, on their day to day activities, and and then Ko is a bit of comedy, bit slice of life, bit kind of warped, but uh, fun football uh, uh, comedy, which I think um, is resonating really well. A particularly shout out to the AFL spot. I've got a 14-year-old son whose uh, um, voice breaks every now and then whilst he's um, yelling at the screen in support <laughs> of Hawthorne or Manchester United. Um, he'll hate me for saying that on in public, but uh, uh, Tim Bullock, the director, also is uh, has, has a similar situation back at home. So um, some really, really fun work. Um, 
and it's uh, yeah, it's just it's it's great to kind of there's quite a variety there as well from you know more blockbuster to kind of slice of life to um, you know a, a nicely observed human truth. So um, you know three pieces of work that will really stand out and and hopefully do the job of um, you know driving the right results for the Telstra brand and. You know, that's what we've seen over the um, years that we've worked on it and, uh, yeah, we're building on that foundation. And, uh, and, and Brent, you, you started by sort of speaking about how um, Telstra has really adopted being agile as a company. I guess, you know, you kind of started around um, the time of the, you know, the, the couple of hacks or leaks or cyber leaks, we could say. Um, w- what was that like for you sort of, I guess obviously you had a clear a clear topic or a, a, something to tackle um, coming in right out of the blocks, and then obviously turning turning that around into what we then saw with that. Um, I, I guess as Mark described, a blockbuster piece. Yeah, I think it happened. Uh, I think it was about day six for me at, at Telstra. Uh, you know, when the Optus breach happened. I mean, my first observation was. Just how impressed I was with our cybersecurity team and all the work they were doing to make sure that we could be as secure as possible. Now you can never be 100% certain, but but uh, our cybersecurity team um, just did a huge amount of work um, to, to to sort of make sure we could be as safe as possible. Um, and I really wanted to do something to celebrate uh, that incredible work that we do because I think what's interesting when something like that happens is that. Suddenly, you know, what could be perceived as a weakness, you know, big, boring, established Telstra can suddenly be an incredible strength, which is that's actually safe Telstra. Um, so we really wanted to find a way to, um, you know, re- re- really make sure that we could land that that idea that we have a, not only do we have, you know, the best network, it's also an incredibly safe network. Um, but wanted to do it in a way that wasn't sort of a rational. Which, which a lot of people tend to sort of um, do when it comes to topics like cybersecurity, but be not sort of fear-mongering. Like I think, I think we've all seen the images of the hackers in their hoodies who are coming to get us. And I think I'll, uh, instead I want to find a way to do it that felt more positive, that really sort of gave Telstra customers confidence that if you're with us, that then, you know, we, are, we, we do put the safety of our customers at the absolute forefront of our business. So I think the, the sort of metaphor we use with the giant security convoy you know, a convoy that looked like it should be protecting Joe Biden, but it actually ends up protecting just your regular family SUV. I thought it was a really lovely metaphor to sort of show to the, the extent and the lengths that we go to to make our customers as safe as possible. Um, and for me, you know, that, that was a pretty big statement from Telstra. I think a lot of brands would have said, oh, look, let's just sort of, let's keep our heads down. Let's just sort of be quiet on this whole cybersecurity thing. But I think for us to sort of, um, be bold and say, no, no, we, we have a safe network. We're doing a lot of work to block, proactively block, um, you know, different scams and and and, and messages and things. Uh, I think it was a really positive leadership move from the Telstra brand. I guess on, on that same note, how important is it to sort of tread that line between keeping it focused on yourself? Because, you know, you do have your market competitors in this sticky spot, but at the same time, you know, it is relevant. You, people might say, oh, well, you don't want to, I guess, take advantage of a situation or maybe you do. But as you say there, you want to celebrate it and keep it 
I guess, squarely focused on yourself. Yeah, I think that was a leadership statement about what we're doing. Um, and, and you know, we were doing a lot of this long before, uh, you know, the Optus breach happened. So so this work we've been doing around, we call it cleaner pipes, right? Like basically to make sure that we can proactively block uh, a lot of these cybersecurity threats before they even get to a customer, um, which is interesting too, right? Because that's invisible, right? Our customers don't see that because we, we're just doing it in the background so that a lot of these threats don't even reach the customer. So this is work we've been doing at Telstra for quite a long time and we've been really investing in and we think it's really important. So for me, it was more about a, a leadership position on what we're doing as opposed to what our competitors are up to. So I guess um, moving forward over the, the the next sort of 12 months, there's been a lot of talk about, I guess, the economy, how that's impacting marketing. Brent, you spoke about the commercial decisions that are being driven by creativity. Telstra doesn't look like it's slowing down on its output. How, how do you sort of both see the next 12 months? Mark, we might start with you. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I always back us to either battle the downturns by winning market share from our competitors um, or finding new ways to get busy. And um, I think you kind of need that resourcefulness when there are times that are challenging for the economy. Um, we've, we've, we've been through a few, and in each instance we've um, not only survived but thrived. So during the GFC we grew significantly um, and similarly through COVID. Um, and look, I think the best clients and the best agencies recognize that um, the value of what we do in connecting customers with new opportunities, it's as important during a crisis or a pandemic as it is in good times. So look, uh, you know, I, I will always take on the challenge with optimism. And um, that's how we're looking at the next 18 months as well. Well said, Greeny, as always. I think that, the, and I agree totally, right, but I, I think um, one thing I, I don't think we talk enough about as marketers is the power of brand to drive price premium. So obviously when you're in a, in a tougher economic uh, situation, right, um, the, the, the quick and easy response is cut prices, promos, offers, let's do all that. And you do need to do that because it's a highly competitive marketplace. But I think... What the great brands are able to do is they're able to maintain a premium position in the marketplace, even though we're, we're at a time when um, customers are incredibly value conscious. That's what the great brands can do. Um, so I think what, what the great marketers do is they think about, okay, how can I position my brand in a way that I can continue to be priced in a premium way, even though we're in a highly competitive market? Um, so so that's the challenge that I think is, is, is really interesting and certainly one uh, that we need to be thinking about at Telstra because we are the premium brand in the marketplace. I think the other thing too is 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 the importance to keep investing in brand. Uh, and again, that's been sort of proven time and time again that whenever we find ourselves in you know recessionary times or or economically challenging times, there is uh, sometimes a knee jerk reaction to cut budgets and, and and to go much more sort of short term and tactical with our spend. But again, it's been proven that the brands that continue to invest in their brand. Uh, are the ones that not only do they hold their position well when when times are tough, but when growth comes back, they grow much faster than than the competitors who do cut their budget and don't invest in brands. So I think now is the time 
to keep investing in brand and really think about if we build a brand the right way, can we continue to to have a bit of premium built in as opposed to just let's cut prices and let's have a race to the bottom with everyone else, which I think is tempting, but I don't think is the right strategic move right now. Mark, is that nice to hear from uh, one of your biggest clients? <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is, absolutely. It's, um, uh, I mean, look, uh, Telstra has been such a, an important part of our business for so long. Um, and, you know, we, we've, we've been through some of those uh, leaner moments over the 14 years we've been together. So, um, look, Telstra has always been committed to kind of building its brands and staying the course during challenging times. So I think, um, you know, we're probably looking to see how the messages and the, the products and services we promote evolve over that time uh, to make sure that we're delivering, you know, kind of the right moments for the brand and the customer in the context of the economy and, and you know, where things are at uh, for Australian households. So, um, yeah, look, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting 12 months ahead. Um, but, you know, you, you've just got to get hungry and smart about how, how you take it on um, and have the right sort of conversations and, and pivot. You, I'll throw that word out there. It's a, it's a bit of a cliche, but <laughs> it's sort of true sometimes. You know, you, you can't no always. You're so accentual these days, Granny. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you, you've just you've got to you've got to adapt. I mean, you know, look, I think um, you know brands are almost like people, right? Like, you kind of depending on the circumstances, you, the, you know, you will the message will evolve. Um, so I think that's what we're kind of probably staring at at the moment. Well, look, it's been fantastic having you both join me. I appreciate you taking the time uh, and best of luck for the uh, the relationship continuing to evolve together. Cheers, Callum. Thanks, Callum. All the best. That's all we have time for today. Thanks again for listening to the Mumbrella Cast. Please make sure to subscribe if you like what you're hearing and head to mumbrella.com.au to keep on top of Australia's media and marketing industry. We'll be back tomorrow on the Evening Mumbo channel. Thanks again to you, Brent and Mark, for joining us, as well as Dan and, of course, Damo. Thanks to you too. Thanks, Callan. Uh, hopefully we don't get lost and we might see you on the Evening Mumbo tomorrow. <laughs> see you then. Yeah.